This is CQ State Report, your nonpartisan news source for examining state lawmaking and regulations, as well as the intersection of state and federal policy. Hi, I'm Tony Nafo, editor of CQ Roll Call's State Report, and I'm here today with reporter Jonathan Miller, who's just finished a story about a controversial federal program that, until recently, sent millions of dollars to states and local police departments. This is a complicated story, but at its heart, there are some important questions about due process in the war on crime. So before we dive into the details of your story, Jonathan, what exactly is the Civil Asset Forfeiture Program? Sure. So it's a practice that's been around for some time, and it's gotten a lot of press in the last few years, mostly of a negative variety over some of the abuses and overreach that's been associated with it. So here's how it works. Let's say you're driving on the road and the police see something they don't like. They can pull you over and in the course of searching may find something they deem suspicious, like a large wad of cash or jewelry, what have you. In a large number of cases, sure, it's being used illegally, but here's the thing. The actual cash or valuable property can be taken, forfeited. The police can take it without even having to make an arrest. And the person who has the asset taken has to go to court if they want to get it back and essentially prove that it wasn't being used for something illegal. So what is it that's going on with the federal government? How do they get involved with the state and local police departments? So this goes back to 1984 when Congress passed a bill to fight uh, the drug war. Part of that bill created an assets forfeiture fund in the Justice Department. So it works this way. The money or valuables that law enforcement takes from around the country is kicked up to the federal government. It can also be shared with the state government and they have their own laws. So the cities and states get to keep up to 80 percent and the federal government takes about 20% chunk. Okay, so let's fast forward to the Justice Department's decision to suspend the payments. It wasn't because of concern about due process, was it? No. So the short answer is that Congress decided to keep it. In both the budget deal that lifted the sequester caps and the year-end omnibus, Congress took $1.2 billion. So they'd done something similar in 2013, but the program was still able to make the payouts but at a, somewhat of a lower level. So in December, the Justice Department announced that they needed to suspend the fund, that they simply couldn't make the payouts. And law enforcement agencies are still owed about $300 million total. Um, but it's been a pretty good deal for police. These have been tough budget times. It's helped police departments buy new equipment, new squad cars, that sort of thing. But critics have said that the practice essentially encourages what they call policing for profit. The argument is you're taking money from someone who hasn't even been charged with a crime and using it to line your department's pockets. So what's been the practical impact of that? Who's protesting? Well, a lot of people, uh, the National Governors Association, local officials, law enforcement advocates, these groups are warning that the loss of the money could force police to remove their officers from joint drug task forces. And the Governors Association, which is a nonpartisan group, uh, is invoking the opioid and heroin crisis. And that's been a big problem in many parts of the country. Congress is working on it right now. Now, they say the funds need to be restored. And members of Congress have heard it from their constituents, and they're now agitating over the issue. One of the places that's complaining is a city in Georgia that got the fourth highest amount of any jurisdiction in the state, $1.1 million in all, which you described as sounding a little like winning the lottery. How did that happen? So I talked with the police chief of Cartersville. It's a city about 40 miles outside of Atlanta. He explained that his department sends two officers to a Drug Enforcement Administration office in Atlanta, and it's a cost to his department of about $100,000 a year each for each officer. 
So there are other departments around the state that send officers. And what they do is they pool their resources, work with the federal government, and sometimes they hit the jackpot. And that was the case in 2014 for Cartersville. And it's allowed the department to buy body cameras, surveillance equipment, tablets for their squad cars. But now the payments have stopped. And the chief there and others in the country are questioning whether they should even continue paying for their officers on these joint task forces now that the possibility of hitting that jackpot or even getting any money has been taken away. And, and many are wondering whether this is a worthwhile investment anymore. So by paying two officers to work full-time with the DEA, Carterville and other towns are essentially assured a share of those seized assets, even though the officers are not investigating crimes in their home jurisdiction? So they're not necessarily assured. The, for the most part, the city takes in about three hundred dollars to $400,000 a year. Uh, uh, 2014 was a bit of an outlier. And many in law enforcement argue that working on these task forces, in addition to the financial benefits, are helpful in that while the cases, you know, aren't necessarily impacting the city directly, the drugs eventually could make their way into the towns and they're stopping them at the source. And they also say it helps officers gain valuable information and intelligence that they can bring back with them to their departments. Okay, so what happens to the fund now? Is it completely dead? Probably not. In fact, just last week, Attorney General Loretta Lynch came to Congress and was peppered with questions from members who have themselves been getting an earful from people back home. Now, she assured members that the funding lapse was temporary and said that the expectation was that payouts would resume sometime in the near future. She didn't give a timeline. But officials of justice have told me that they expect full or close to full payments and will resume sometime in the near future. And then an update or an assessment will come sometime soon as well. At the same time, a lot of state and federal lawmakers are taking a hard look at the fairness of these seizures by police. Tell us about that, Jonathan. So this issue has really galvanized a lot of people on the left and the right. It's something actually everyone agrees on for once. It's resulted in a pretty strange bedfellow coalition. Some of these names might be familiar to you. The Charles Koch Institute, Americans for Tax Reform, that's the Grover Norquist organization, and the ACLU. A number of states have also made big changes to their laws. Just this last week, Wyoming put new hurdles in the way of being able to take someone's assets. And last year, New Mexico enacted what many consider to be the gold standard for asset forfeiture. The state now requires a conviction before anything can be taken. And here in Washington, many on the left and right are interested in introducing a reform bill. In fact, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Charles Grassley, has called for ending the equitable sharing program. This, this, that's the federal program we were just talking about that sends the money back to the states. But there's been pushback from both the Justice Department and law enforcement advocates. So what happened was the people in Congress wanted to roll out the bill last fall after criminal sentencing reform. But that one has run into trouble and asset forfeiture is still in limbo. At this point, it's really unclear whether they'll get anything done ahead of the election. Okay, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Tony. That was CQ's Jonathan Miller on the federal government's pause in its program of sharing seized assets with state and local police. I'm Tony Nafo. Thanks for listening to the CQ State Report. Until next time, you can find us on CQ.com, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening to CQ State Report. For more information on legislative and regulatory tracking, visit us on our site, cqstatetrack.com.